Go ahead and grab your Bibles, flip with me to Psalm chapter 67. Psalm chapter 67. As you're turning there, let me ask you a question. How do you evaluate the current state of Christian mission? Like as you see mission described in the Bible, how, you, how would you evaluate its current state now? Do you think it's strong? Do you think it's weak? Do you think it's expanding? Do you think it's shrinking? Do you think God's mission is going forth in the world or do you think it's losing its power and losing steam? Before we answer that question, let's go ahead and give ourselves a grid in Psalm 67 through which we can answer those questions. Let me read Psalm chapter 67 over us. God's word says this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let the ends of the earth fear him. Now, without spending too much time exegeting this passage, let me make some comments on, on each of the verses. So, so first, in verse one, God shows us in his word the source of our mission. God, would you be gracious to us? Would you bless us? Would you make your face to shine upon us? And so hopefully, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you're gonna, there's gonna be some Old Testament names and people that come to mind here. In this first verse, we see Abraham, we see the blessing of God towards Abraham, a God-given, God-defined blessing. This is in Genesis chapter 12, two and three, when God says he will bless Abraham and through Abraham and through that blessing, all the nations will be blessed. We see Abraham, see the God's covenant with Abraham. Next, we see Moses and Aaron here in verse one. We see Aaron's priestly prayer from Numbers chapter six, rephrased by David here in Psalm 67. The prayer that, that Aaron would pray over God's people, a prayer of blessing. And here we see David take it and take it from being a prayer of blessing to being a prayer of petition. He begins with, may God, will you God, God, please, would you be gracious, gracious to us. Would you, God, bless us? Would you, God, make your face to shine upon us? So we ask the question, has God failed here? Has God failed to be gracious to us? Has God failed to, be, to bless his people? Has God failed to make his face to shine upon us? And the answer to that question is a resounding no. God has not failed and God cannot fail. According to Titus 2, 11, in Jesus Christ, the grace of God has appeared to mankind. In Jesus Christ, God has answered this prayer. He has been gracious to us. Ephesians chapter three would explain to us the true blessing of God in Christ Jesus, that in Jesus, we have true and eternal riches which will not fade and which will not wane, which we can take to the bank now and forevermore. God has blessed us in Jesus Christ. And according to Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1, Jesus Christ is the glory of God revealed to us. As we said when we were walking through our core value of the word, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. God has a face and he looks like Jesus. 
So has God failed? Has he failed to be gracious to us? Has he failed to bless us? Has he failed to make his face to shine upon us? And again, the answer to that is a resounding no. But then we get to verse two and we see a connector there. God, would you do these things for us that, so that your way be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So God did not ever intend to give us the gospel, to give us Jesus Christ and for it to terminate there. But in giving us Jesus, he gave us an aim, just like he did for Abraham. You are blessed to be a blessing. And the aim here is described that his way be known on all the earth, and saving power from all nations, God, that, that all people would experience it. That all people would experience the graciousness, the blessing, and God's face shining upon us through Jesus Christ. We have our aim. We have our goal. So we can see that God has not failed. God has equipped us with everything we need. And our job is to be good stewards, good managers of these resources so that God would be known but not just that God would be known. Verse three, let the peoples praise you, O God. We don't want just simple knowledge of God. We want the praise of God's glorious name from all peoples over all the world. And in verse four, he says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy because they've experienced your goodness in Christ Jesus. We want people to know God. We want people to praise God. We want people to be glad and joyous in God alone. And then in verse seven, God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the goal of Christian mission, that God would be known, that God would be praised, that God would be enjoyed, and that God would be feared from here to the ends of the earth. So then again, what is the state of the Christian mission across the earth? Let's explore that through some, some numbers, some statistics. According to the Joshua Project, there are over 17,000 people groups in the world, and conservatively speaking, around 41% of them are unreached. And to be unreached means you have no access to the Bible in your language, no access to the gospel, and no local church in your culture. Around 41% of the 17,000 people groups in the world have no access to the gospel, to the Bible, or to a local church. Around 7% of the, of the world's people groups are minimally reached, which, mean, which means there might be access to the Bible in their language, but there's no training on biblical literacy or training in the gospel and no local church to be a part of. And around 10% of the world is superficially released, reached. And according to the Joshua Project, this means that there is historical roots for Christ, Christianity in this nation, but there is no current presence of Christianity. You might say that's America. Around, if you add those numbers up, that's nearly 60% of the world's population that have little to no access to the gospel. Very little hope for it. That's out there. What about right here? Some numbers. In the greater LA area, the number of people who are professing evangelical Christians is somewhere below 10%, probably closer to around 5%. It's the Census Bureau numbers. Nearly three-fourths, 75% of our population identify as nuns, the rise of the nuns, not N-U-N-S, N-O-N-E-S. There's not, 75% of our population are not nuns. 
A nun is someone who says no religious affiliation, no God, no belief. It's out there. Uh, just none. Around 75% of our population. We've seen church closures, especially in the Inland Empire, at such a rapid rate that we would need 500 churches planted today, like today, 500 churches planted just to catch up with where we were at in 2010. That's nine years ago. We are at a, so the SBC, the denomination we're a part of, plants around 4,000 churches a year in North America, but around 3,700 of them close. And that doesn't account for, these numbers don't account for population growths and shifts around this area where different languages and culture and people group are not, being, not having churches planted in their language and among their people groups. So again, what is the state of Christian missions? If you can hear those numbers and you're like me, you're gonna get a bit discouraged. Like, golly, we're so behind here. But instead of that, I want us to ask why. Why is God's mission around us seeming to slow, or is it? Why is God's gospel not burning like a wildfire? Why is the book of Acts such a drastically different experience than what I've seen and what I've experienced? Why is there such a dichotomy between the Bible and my life? And I think the answer is found in the beginning of verse two, that word, that. I think there is within all of us a kind of complacency towards managing the graciousness, blessing, and kindness of God towards us. I think there's an inability within all of us to know what to do with God's blessing, to know how to participate in God's mission, to know where to go from here. And my intention in kind of this introduction and exploration of Psalm 67 is not to heap shame or guilt upon any of us. Nothing in the Christian faith causes guilt like a lack of evangelism. Like I, can, I could stand up here and say, go do it. And nothing could cause more guilt and shame in all of us. Like, gosh, I'm just not doing it. But what if God is more concerned with who you're becoming than what you're doing? What if God is more concerned with who you are becoming in Christ and less concerned with what you are doing? And if you are becoming more like Christ, you will live more like Christ and naturally do the things that Christ does. And so a lack of missional growth and missional fervor has nothing to do with the right methodologies and programs and everything to do with a lack of understanding of the gospel and a lack of application in the go- of the gospel in our lives. And the hope in this introduction was to kind of sober us up a little bit, to jar us, to cause us to see the beauty of God in the gospel and the absolute need for the gospel to advance from here to every corner of this earth. And we at Story Church just want to play our little role that God would give us to be a part of that happening. That is why we have made mission one of our core values. So here's what we're going to do tonight. I'm gonna lay a biblical foundation for what the mission of God is. We're gonna define the mission of God theologically. I'm gonna draw out why mission is crucial for our discipleship of Jesus. I'm gonna describe the ways in which we at at Story Church wanna participate in mission both locally and globally. And then we're gonna look at some of the key marks of a missionary church, a missional church. How are we gonna measure if we're being effective? So let's go ahead and define what the mission of God is as God would define it in his word. Let me kind of open up with the imagery of a funnel. And so if you're at Foothill Church this morning, I preached there and I used a funnel, shows how creative I am. Um, but this morning, my sermon had the, the funnel the other way around. So I, I switched it up here. 
So if we think about missional living as the Bible would describe it, we must have both a wide definition of mission and a narrow definition of mission. At the top is demonstration, at the bottom uh, is declaration. Let me kind of walk through it. Keep that up there. When we are talking about mission narrowly defined, we are talking about evangelism. We are talking about the actual declaration, the actual proclamation of the good news of the gospel. But when we're talking about demonstration, we're talking about how we live like Christ in the world that hopefully leads in our relationships to the eventual declaration of the gospel. So we have a mission defined widely and a mission defined narrowly. Let's start at the bottom. Let's look at our mission defined narrowly. The mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus in the power of the Spirit, gather these disciples into churches that they might worship and obey Jesus Christ now and in eternity to the glory of God the Father. That's a mouthful. Uh, This definition is sourced in a book called What is the Mission of the Church by Kevin DeYoung. I highly recommend that church pick it up, or that book uh, pick it up uh, to see them expound this definition over about 300 pages. So I'm not gonna talk for 300 pages tonight. This is our mission narrowly defined, to evangelize and disciple new followers of Jesus, to gather them into churches that they might worship and obey Jesus Christ now and forevermore. This is the act of declaring Jesus with the goal of making disciples. Now, mission widely defined, mission widely defined is the demonstration of Jesus in and to the world. It is living like Jesus in everyday life, living the implications of the gospel in everyday life with the desire to move towards gospel proclamation. So let's work through each of these definitions one by one. First, mission narrowly defined, that we are called to go make disciples via evangelism and discipleship. We see this all over the scriptures. I think I have four or five scripture references here. Let me just kind of fly through them real quick. Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 20, the great commandment. This is where we get it. Jesus saying, I have all authority. Go now into all the world, proclaim the gospel, make disciples, but don't just leave them on their own, but rather teach them to obey all that I've commanded you after you've baptized them. Matthew chapter 28. We see in Matthew 24, 14, that we are called by Jesus to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to the whole world. In Acts chapter 1-8, Jesus tells his disciples, you will be my witnesses from here to the ends of the earth. My question is, what is a witness? What is a witness? LeBron James, right? He, he makes t-shirts that say, we are all witnesses. And what are we witnessing in LeBron? One of the greatest basketball players of all time. One of, not the one of, okay? <laughs> We are to be his witnesses. We have seen the goodness and the glory of Jesus. And just like someone who is an evangelist for LeBron James, like, dude, pay whatever it takes. See that guy live. He's incredible. Did you see what he did last night? Oh my goodness. Man, what if we have that fire within us for Jesus? We've witnessed the goodness and glory of Jesus and we just go around saying, do you see that guy? Have you seen our savior? Do you know what he's done? We are to be his witnesses. 
Romans 10, 10 through 14. We talked about this, this verse at length each week. We are called to preach the gospel. But how, and how are people to hear unless someone preaches? And how is, how is someone to preach unless they are sent? We are all sent people called to go preach the gospel that others might repent and follow Jesus. And then in Romans 7, or Revelation 7, 9, and 10, we see the end result of our proclamation of Jesus, that into eternity, there's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping at the feet of Jesus, declaring his glory and his goodness and his might and his power forevermore. So scripture has, with utter clarity and utter simplicity, described to us our job, go everywhere, proclaim the gospel, make disciples. We're not at Story Church into making converts of Jesus. We're into making disciples of Jesus. We want conversions, but we don't want it to stop there. We're not after just a bunch of hand raises so we can say, look at the scoreboard. We're after people who are maturing into Christ's likeness. We're not after fans of Jesus where they can just look at him and be like, man, he's kind of a cool guy. He's my homeboy. Remember those shirts? Anyone, did anyone own a Jesus is my homeboy shirt? Raise your hand. It's okay. There's freedom here. Ross, my man. Listen, Ross has, Ross has outed himself. You're all free now to say Jesus is my homeboy. Anyone else? Anyone else feel bold enough to admit that? Thank you, Ross. Bold move. Jesus is my, we're not after making fans of Jesus. We are after making disciples of Jesus. And the only way to make disciples is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So this is what we are after. We're after the proliferation of the gospel from Rancho to the ends of the earth. And we are all called, Romans 10, to be heralds of this good news, to be preachers of this good news, to be proclaimers of this good news here and everywhere. And so we're gonna do this primarily through evangelism and discipleship. This is where it happens. To define evangelism, here is, is what evangelism is. Evangelism is the act of proclaiming the good news of Jesus with the goal of influencing others to follow him. Proclaiming the gospel with an intention that others would follow him. Now, I don't know about you, but kind of in, in, in my church setting that I grew up in, here's what I believed evangelism was. Just be really nice to everyone. Like that's what you're, just be nice. And eventually they're gonna believe or maybe we believe that evangelism was kind of a program where we manipulated a bunch of things and eventually, you know, the, the crying kid at camp kind of did the whole like, oh, I repent and like, um, what, of what, you know? Kind of, we're at, there was no call of, of sin and bad news to get to the good news and call to repentance and trust in Jesus, but it was like, man, I'm gonna modify my behavior, not submit to the gospel, so when we are talking about evangelism, it is a strict definition of being proclaimers of the gospel, explaining to others. And there's a goal in evangelism, right? I'm not saying we're kind of sticky salespeople trying to convince people uh, or trying to, you know, uh, like, like a used car salesman. If that's your job, that's not a bad thing. I love that. We both drive used cars. We bought from used car salesmen. It's not something I hate. I think you get a bad rap silly. If this job fails, it's probably what I'm going to go do. Um, but we do have a goal in our evangelism. 
Our goal is to influence people to follow Jesus. And we shouldn't feel sticky about that. We shouldn't feel icky about that. We should feel free about that and good about that because we know if people submit to and follow Jesus, it results in hope and joy and life and satisfaction. So we should, we should try to influence people to follow Jesus. We should. Not lying about what it means to follow Jesus. Does it mean your circumstances are gonna change or suffering's gonna go away? Probably not. But it does mean that in those circumstances and through your suffering, Jesus will be more than enough. He will be sufficient and he will be good through those things. So we have to try to influence others to follow Jesus. But evangelism isn't where it stops. It keeps moving into discipleship. Evangelism is simply a doorway into discipleship where we invite these new converts to grow in their obedience to the commands of Jesus. This is what Jesus tells us in Matthew 28. Teach them to obey. You must teach these new disciples, and we all needed this. When I first became a believer, it was kind of Jesus and me religion, where I'm like looking at the Bible, and I'm like, I don't know what any of this means. I don't know how to read this. How do I do this? And I needed someone to come alongside me and say, I could see that you're new in the faith. Let me help you understand this. Let me help you grow in this. This is what we're after when we're talking about mission, or yeah, mission as evangelism and discipleship. And if we do this, it's gonna continue to result in reproduction where there's more disciples, more churches as the mission of God goes forth. That's mission narrowly defined. Now, let's look at mission widely defined at the top of the funnel, mission as demonstration. Again, we see this all over the Bible. In Genesis 12, we saw that with Abraham. You are blessed to be a blessing. In Psalm 67, we see it right there, stewarding these things to bless others. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, we see the fruit of the, spirit, of the Spirit on display where we as God's people are living like Jesus in the world and people are experiencing the fruit of the Spirit. And that's a good thing. You don't go to and grab rotten fruit and eat it. Hopefully you don't. You go to good fruit. You go to the one that looks appealing and the one that looks tasty and the one that will be nutritious. And we as God's people, as we display the fruit of the Spirit to the world, it is alluring and attractive. We see in Ephesians 2.10 that we are saved by the work of Jesus, but we are saved unto good works as well that God has already prepared for us beforehand. God has saved us unto good works, not by our works, by the work of Jesus we've been saved, but we've also been saved to do good works. Matthew 5, 15 and 16 says, let your light shine forth, don't hide it. Why? So that your neighbors, so that those around you see your good works and glorify God because of it. And then 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 and 5, Paul is opening the letter to the, the church at Thessalonica and says, do you not know the gospel didn't come to you only in word, but the gospel came to you in power with conviction and we proved to you to be the type of people of the gospel. We proved that as we lived among you. So we as God's people are called to live out good works, to shine the light forth. We are called to display the fruit of the Spirit, to, to prove to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And this is how we demonstrate the gospel to the world. And so some of the different ways we might see this on display, these are absolutely the responsibility of the church. We were called to live out justice and mercy because we have a God who is just and merciful. 
We are called to be hospitable, one to another and to our neighbors. We're called to serve our city through projects, orphan and widow care, mentoring and tutoring for the, the, those who are among us. These are just a few examples. And friends, uh, the, the reason why a lot of social programs exist is because the church has failed to do her job. That's really sad. Hospitals and, 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 and care homes for senior citizens and, and orphanages, the church has failed to do her job. And the only, way we need to, to, the only way we can know that is by looking out and seeing that the church isn't the one doing these things. We are called, friends, to do these things. And so these things, the, the wide demonstration of the gospel and the, the narrow declaration of the gospel are not opposed, but rather they're complementary, they're harmonious. There is a tension there. And we must recognize the tension. Some of us lean one way or the other, right? Some of us are naturally bent to be hardcore evangelists where it's like, I'm never gonna give someone a cup of water. All I'm gonna do is preach the gospel to them. It's all they need. And there's others that are like, well, I'm just gonna do really kind. I'm gonna be really kind and do a bunch of service projects and, and I'm never gonna actually tell them the gospel because that's kind of offensive, right? It's a tension to be struck. But how a funnel works most often, right, if you use a funnel upside down, it's not gonna do its job. Like I, I, just, I just changed the oil on Katie's car. Tomorrow morning we're taking off and driving to Tahoe, so if you try to reach me, I'll be out of touch. But I changed the oil to get ready for that, that drive, and, and, and if I turned the funnel upside down and tried to pour in through the narrow end and get it into the oil pan or whatever it's called, I'm not handy, I've told, told you before. <laughs> What's it called, the oil container? The thing that holds the oil? Someone, the flux capacitor? <laughs> no, it's not the engine. <laughs> YouTube, for the win. Thanks, Isaac. <sighs> Let me rein myself back in here. So, you turn the funnel the right side up, you stick it in the hole, you pour the oil in the wide end, and eventually it goes down the narrow end into the engine. I knew that. I was just pretending I didn't know. And so as we demonstrate Jesus to the world by how we live, eventually, hopefully, by how we relationally interact with others and, and build relationships and invite to our, into our homes and shine our light before the world and show the fruit of the Spirit, eventually it does lead to the proclamation of the good news. Why? Because you're living differently from the world. You are showing that you're not a citizen of this kingdom, but you're a citizen of a different kingdom, and others want in on that. So eventually you do get to the declaration of the gospel. So there's a tension in all of this. It's not a balance to be struck. By the way, um, let me side note this. Balance is a myth. You'll never find balance in life. It's not a true thing. Um, you will find tensions that you're constantly trying to manage, but if you're expecting perfect work-life balance, it ain't gonna happen. So don't have false expectations. I've been let down by that in my own life before. Balance is not possible, but this is a tension. At times in our lives, we're, we're leaning more in one way. I'm gonna invite my neighbors in a lot. They haven't given me an opening to share the gospel yet, but guess what? I'm gonna show them the love of Jesus a lot, and I'm gonna not going to stop doing that. And there's other times where there's just such an urgency and such an opening that it's like, well, I don't really know you, but you're gonna hear the gospel here and now. So we must walk this fine line all the time. 
And in our demonstration of the good news, we pray and hope that eventually we get to the declaration of the good news. So, so one question I have is, do we actually believe the good news is good? Do we believe the good news is satisfying, is freeing, is joyful, is full of hope and love and life? Do we actually believe that? Has the good news truly penetrated to every part of our being that we can't help but to spill out the good news on those around us? Are you speaking good news to yourself, to one another, into a lost and dying world regularly. So this is a quick theology of mission, mission widely and mission narrow. Let me now define some terms because I've said mission and missionary and missional a lot. So when we say the word mission, here's what we mean. God's mission as described for us in Matthew 28. We defined it earlier. Go out, make disciples, teach them to obey, obey When we say missionary, we're saying this is all Christians everywhere, that you live all of life with gospel intentionality. Charles Spurgeon, the famous Baptist preacher, this guy, like I I speak in hyperbole, but man, this guy speaks in hyperbole, Charles Spurgeon. Like this is next level stuff. He has a saying that goes like this. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Food. We're either a missionary or an imposter. And too often, we believe that, that like missionaries are just kind of the people we send to foreign mission fields, and, and that's not really us. We support them, and those people are missionaries. But we all, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a missionary of Jesus. John 20, 21, he says, Jesus says, even so, fathers, you have sent me into the world, so I am sending my followers into the world. We are all missionaries. By the way, Um, though America has a very rich history that's to be celebrated with sending missionaries to the foreign parts of the world, uh, we should always understand we're about as far away from the epicenter as it gets. And praise God that missionaries were sent because eventually it reached us in Southern California. So praise God for that. And then when we say missional, this is about a posture that we adopt that we see all of life through the lens of mission, through the opportunity to share and show the gospel to the world. So there's some terms as we think about this. Now, let's talk about mission and how it relates to our discipleship of Jesus. As with each of our core values, we wanna relate our core value into how we are all going to grow together as disciples of Jesus. Mission and Christ-likeness. Matthew 4, Jesus goes to his first disciples and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Before being fishers of men, Jesus says, follow me. Become like me, live like me, grow to look like me, and then I will make you fishers of men. We can't become like Jesus without living like Jesus lived. So we rehearse the gospel, we're refreshed in the gospel, and we preach the gospel. We become more like Christ when we are uncomfortable and when we're, we don't know what to do and we're in spaces where we're overwhelmed. Mission and dependence. The gospel goes forth through ordinary, spirit-empowered, gospel-loving people. The gospel goes forth through ordinary people, which is good news for all of us in this room because all of us are super normal and very ordinary and not all that cool. 
And this is good news because this is the very people God has chosen to use. But he has called us not just to be ordinary, but to be spirit-empowered and spirit-dependent. And when we live missionally, that is when dependence proves to be necessary to life. If you're only living a life where you can be self-dependent, then you are not living a missional life. God has called you to press your means, to press your life to the point of utter dependence upon him. And that can only happen by living missionally. We see mission and self-denial and mission and anonymity. The prayer of John the Baptist in John 3, Jesus, would you increase that I decrease? Nothing causes us to deny self and to live in glad anonymity, quite like mission, where we say, this isn't at all about me. My life isn't about me. This world isn't about me. My job isn't about me. My home isn't about me. My family's not about me. This is all about Jesus Christ. May he increase and may I decrease. Mission and joy. Man, few things give me deep abiding joy, quite like seeing people in the baptismal waters. Quite, there's nothing that compares to people standing and saying, I once was far off, but Jesus brought me near. I once was blind, but he helped me see. I once was an enemy and he made me a friend. I once was an orphan and he adopted me into the family. Man, There's nothing that gives me joy like seeing more followers of Jesus. And if you're not joyful at the the sight of the baptismal waters, there's some kind of broken down understanding of the gospel within you. And then we see mission as it relates to the gospel. The gospel is both the means and the end of mission. The gospel is what energizes us and fuels us to live missionally. The gospel is the thing we proclaim in mission. And the end result is that the Savior in the gospel would be followed followed by more and more people. So whether we have successes in people following Jesus or failure, right? Pastor Chris, a couple weeks ago, took us through kind of the Jonah and Jeremiah experiences where Jeremiah faithfully labored for years and didn't see a conversion. Jonah begrudgingly goes and says a one-sentence sermon and an entire city repents. It's like, what? We can't explain that. Only the gospel can explain that. God is the one who opens the eyes. God is the one who empowers salvation. God is the one by his spirit who regenerates. And so we are free in the gospel just to be vessels of his mercy that open our mouths and proclaim Jesus Christ. So what are the hindrances to mission? What causes us in Psalm 67 to forget the so that statement? What causes us to be poor managers and poor stewards? Number one, fear, right? Fear, scared of the response of others around us. What are they gonna say? What if they reject me? What if we're not friends anymore? What if I do it wrong? Man, fear is crippling in evangelism. Number two, we simply just don't know how. If you wanna know how, come back next week. That's my plug. Harvey's gonna really equip us on the how to of evangelism and mission. But again, I mean, like, I would love for us to, to create classes on, on, on equipping people with the ability to live missionally in all of life, creating a how-to. There's a misunderstanding of the gospel. Like, we don't understand fully what the gospel is and, and how to explain it to others. 
There's an apathy, not towards the mission of God, not towards the gospel, but towards God himself. We are apathetic towards God, which results in apathy towards his mission. There's a massive sacred-secular divide that still exists in this world. I'm not the one who's an evangelist. That's the preacher dude. I'm not the one who has to live missionally. My pastor does that. But what if the sacred-secular divide doesn't exist? And all of us in every sphere of our life are called to live missionally. Everywhere we find ourselves, our neighborhoods, our homes, our workplaces, the places that we have our extracurricular activities. Number six, a lack of devotional life. If you, like Acts 1-8, if we're witnesses to the glory and the goodness of Jesus, you must be a witness to something that you've tasted and experienced and seen. And if you're not seeing a desire towards, towards missional work, it's probably because there's a broken down uh, aspect of your devotional life where you're not tasting and experiencing the Lord as good. Or seven, there's a, a discouragement over lack of fruit. Man, this is a big one. I've shared the gospel with this guy for 12 years and he still doesn't get it. He still doesn't want to repent. But what if God is responsible for the fruit, not us? Because God is responsible for the fruit. We are responsible for faithfulness. And then number eight, idolatry. Just, we idolize, we fear man. We fear our reputation. We want the applause of man. But the gospel is offensive, and we know that. And so we walk through idolatry. Now, I'm not trying to condemn or guilt or shame anyone else, but rather I'm trying to to paint a picture that there's hope for lousy evangelists everywhere like me. I am a terrible evangelist. I don't live with a missional fervency that I should. I don't love the gospel as much as I should, but there's hope for you and there's hope for me. What I must do is fall in love again and again with our Savior. And be witness to him in all the earth. So what, 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 what might mission look like here at Story Church? Here's how we're thinking about engaging with our city missionally. Here's a little kind of, that's math, by the way. I got that one, Isaac. It's math. All right, so there's three phrases, right? There's the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's the culture we find ourselves in, and there's the church that we invite people into. These are the three elements that go into effective mission. Now, if you get the gospel right, and you understand your culture, and you're engaging your culture, but there's no church, that's a parachurch ministry. I love parachurch ministries, crew, navigators, all of those different um, college outreach ministries that invite, that share the gospel, and they do it fervently. Praise God for that. They're thinking about the culture and the people groups they're among, and they're bringing the gospel to bear there, but they're just kind of letting people get converted and then going out into the wind, not inviting them into a church where they're gonna be matured into the faith. Beneath that, we have People getting the culture right and, and, and church right, but they're getting the gospel wrong. This is classic liberalism where we capitulate from God's design for the world to give in to the way culture would define things and say, you can find your place here. These aren't churches. These are kind of like cults. We'll call them that. That's liberalism. 
Then there's fundamentalism, where you get the church right and you get the gospel right, but man, you don't get the culture. You get culture wrong. I have a friend um, that, that's coming out of a fundamentalist background, and, and he, was, he was struggling kind of with, with, with coming to Story Church and encountering kind of the freedom and the gospel and stuff, and he sent me a sermon clip, and he said, hey, just so you know where I'm coming from, he, this, this is what was going on there. And, and this guy that was preaching was literally ranting about men wearing pinstriped dress shirts, like not just plain white ones, because that's what's holy, but like pinstripes on, like, and I just, I, I don't have that background, so I totally didn't get it. And he said, this is just a small representation of everything that we were taught, that we add, like Pharisees, rules upon rules upon rules because we don't understand culture and we don't understand how to reach our culture. That's fundamentalism. And missional, though, the sweet spot is when you get the gospel, you understand the culture, you know how to bring that gospel to bear on your culture, and then you invite those new believers into a healthy local church. This is missional. This is what we're after, to be a missional church that gets the gospel, culture, and church right. So locally, what that might look like for us here is that we view every member as a missionary. We want to equip you when you go forth from this place to see yourself as a missionary, We want the front door of this church not to be this building. We want the front door of this church to be all of your homes. We want people's first experience with Story Church to be the home that you live in, the place that you work, the places you play, the people that you're around, every member missionary. It looks like us partnering locally with with other programs that are uh, providing mercy and justice and outreach in the city. We're not gonna reinvent the wheel. We're just gonna get on board with what God is already doing. We're gonna try and strike the balance of of go and tell and and come and see where we we want to make Jesus attractional, where, where he is attractive because Jesus truly is alluring and beautiful. So when you come to services, we we want this place to be done, we want this place to be excellent and and efficient. We want there to be good like we're not idolizing those things, but we're not gonna do things poorly just for the sake of doing them poorly. We want people to be invited into something that's incredible because that's what the gospel is. Is. It is truly incredible. We also want there to be a go and tell, every member missionary. And then most importantly, we're gonna do church planting. This is the most aggressive thing we can do, where we want to send teams of people into every city throughout the IE, planting more and more churches everywhere. I've plugged it time and time again, but man, I, th- there's one coming soon. I'm not gonna put a timeline on it, and I'm not gonna put a location on it, because I've gotten in trouble for that before, but goodness, look around. I sent, I sent a picture of, of one of the times we were praying um, back to um, the, the missions pastor at, at my sending church in, in, Ta- in Dallas, this guy named Trevor Joy. I said, man, look at this. Look what the Lord's doing. Isn't this cool? He said, man, it looks like you guys are ready to multiply. I'm like, dang, you're right. I guess so. And he just, he, just, he just stoked that fire that's already there. And then I talked to other people who are wiser than me, and they're like, pump the brakes. Not yet. You're not ready yet. But that's, that's not all, not just locally. We wanna do it globally where we're partnering with Acts 29 where there's nearly 800 churches all over the world and we are supporting them financially and with resources and, and, and hopefully soon with teams of people. We're still working on a trip to, to Acts 29 Latin America to go support church, uh, church planting down in South America. 
And then we're partnered with uh, the Southern Baptist Convention and their, their international missions sending organization. And particularly, the International Mission Board is particularly effective at reaching unreached people groups. So we want to get behind that with our money. As a matter of fact, 13% of our entire budget goes strictly to local and global missions, around 13% of our budget. I confirmed that earlier to make sure I wasn't wrong. We want to put our money where our mouth is, and we want to continue for that to grow, and we want to continue to send people and money and teams to be missionaries all over the earth. So how then? How will we evaluate our missional effectiveness? I have 13 marks of a missional church. 13 marks of a missional church, okay? It's not, this is not original to me. Number one, everyone is engaging in missionary efforts in their local culture. Everyone, whether you live in Rancho, you live in Ontario, you live in Chino, you live in Riverside, you live in Fontana, wherever you live, you are engaging in missionary effort there. Number two, we are serving the common good in our city. We want to continue to exist, not just in our city, but for our city. Number three, we are primarily reaching lost people, not bored Christians. We want to continue forever, no matter how much growth God gives, if he decides to give us growth, we want to continue to reach lost people, not bored Christians that think something cool, cool is happening at Story Church. Number four, everyone is growing and seeing their home as a gospel outpost. All too often, we think about our homes as a refuge or a sanctuary, and that's not bad. They can be, and they should be used as a place for resting and refueling. But primarily, we should see all of our resources as use for the expansion of the gospel. So we, as ambassadors of God, as heralds of his good news, see our homes, our apartments, our dormitories as gospel outposts. Number five, related, we see our money as missionary ammunition. I love that. I love that. Do you see your money, your income, your budget as something to be used for the sake of mission? Number six, people find the front door of our church to be your homes. We, we already spoke on that. We really desire that. Number seven, we're speaking fluently in cultural terms and intersecting that with the gospel. We're speaking in culture's terms, not on their terms. In their terms, not on their terms. In other words, we're not coming in with clunky robotic language, but we're speaking the way in which people around us speak and we're bringing the gospel to bear in those situations. We're learning how to contextualize the gospel to all people. Number eight, we, we publicly and unashamedly live out our faith. Number nine, worship services are growing in a wide range of diversity where we're growing socioeconomically and racially and, and generationally and all people find a place to be and to belong at Story Church. You will know you are missional if everyone uh, looks different from one another, where there is great unity in the diversity. Number 10, we are after repentance, conversion, and baptism, and then growth as a new disciple. This is our focus. Our focus is outward, not inward. Number 11, we, we are living missionally not because we're guilty, we feel guilty about it or greedy for some kind of like applause of someone around us, but we are living missionally because the grace of Jesus has stung us. Number 12, no golden calves exist at our church. We're not going to idolize something that we've created here. We're, we're going to be willing to shoot anything if it means more. Like, I don't mean like shoot. Um, 
We're going we're, we're gonna to be willing to do away with anything if it means missional ineffectiveness. Like we want, it, we want to grow in missional effectiveness so we're willing to do whatever it takes to reach people with the gospel. And number 13, Jesus is the only stumbling block of entrance. Not us, not our programs, not our music, not the preaching. We want to get out of the way that Jesus might increase. And if someone is going to resist the faith, it is because Jesus is the stumbling block, not something I said, not something we did. So with that, I'm gonna call you to, to be involved in this. We're gonna create in August kind of a round table where we can put our heads together after this week and after Harvey's training next week. And we're gonna get a whiteboard out. We're gonna dream together and we're gonna say, how can we increase in these marks of missional effectiveness? How can we now go do these things? Because here's not, I'm not willing to sit up here and just say these things and do nothing. I don't ever wanna be the church that just spouts off, we're missional, we're evangelistic, but we're not doing any of it. I want us to grow in our missional effectiveness. So if this is something that you're particularly gifted at, you've been effective in in the past, you've seen fruit in, or maybe it's something you're like, I might be gifted in that. I'm not sure. I don't know what to do, but I'm gonna try. Or you're like, man, I want to grow in this. Then, then, then be on the lookout in the newsletter and in the announcements for, for when and where for that meeting, but just begin to think and to dream and to, to consider how might we participate as Story Church corporately in the mission of God. So with that said, we are going to, to close. And again, I, to, I, tonight was totally just gonna be up in the clouds and high level. Next week, Harvey's really gonna bring it to the ground. I'm super looking forward to that. But we're gonna close tonight by, by praying together as we, we do each week. So our particular prayer points for the night <clears throat> is that we're gonna pray for unbelieving people you know to come to faith. I don't know why I didn't bring it with me tonight, but we have something at Story Church called Big Blue. Big Blue is a gigantic blue poster board that we've been bringing to prayer nights and we've been populating it with names of people that we know that are far off from Christ that we're praying to come to faith with him, in, in him. It's up, to, it's up to over 20 names on Big Blue. And I wish I brought it tonight, but, but if you know someone who's, who's unbelieving, if there's someone you've been sharing the gospel with, family, friend, coworker, whoever it might be, someone you've been engaging with the gospel, pray for them by name tonight, that tonight the Lord will save them through whatever means necessary. Pray for the courage to share the faith. All it takes to actually herald and proclaim the good news is 30 seconds of courage. You know, uh, how does that Eminem eight mile song start? Like uh, knees weak, arms are heavy, you know, palms are sweaty or something like that. Someone, surely someone knows the actual lyrics to that. But I'm showing how good of a Christian I am. I don't listen to Eminem. Palms sweaty. Mom, spaghetti, vomit already, something like that. Anyways, so often in evangelism, that's how we feel. We're like, you know, our, our throats begin to close and our palms are sweaty and our knees are shaking. It's like, okay, Lord, just give me 30 seconds of courage. So pray for that, pray for courage. And then pray for the different places you find yourself in that you might bring the gospel to bear there. You might bring the gospel uh, and the influence of the gospel. You might gain trust you and it, with, with those around you to the point where you might be able to explain to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. So spend a few minutes with those around you praying for these things and praying for those that you know that are far off and then we'll close here in a second.